1: And, um, one of the things that's, that's, you know, as well as I do is that things that we used to take and say, you know, take for granted, um, I don't mind other religions listening to me, Joseph at all. Um, I, it, in a day that when we used to take for granted, the fact that you could say things as truth and people would just accept it as true. Let me give you an example. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you could be in church as a preacher and say, you know, well, the Bible says, and when you say the Bible says, you would have just understand that the people listening to you speak or preach just accepted that whatever came next was going to be divine truth. The Bible says such and such. And you just took for granted that people were going to say, well, yeah, that's true, you know, because the Bible does say that. We live in a generation now where even people who are in church Many of them, even if you said the Bible says, they don't necessarily believe that that's divine inspired truth. Do you know that there's many Christians that uh, don't even believe that the Bible is now inspired by God or inerrant? There's, there are Christians who, who say that they serve the Lord, love the Lord, that they don't believe that the Bible itself is without error. They, 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 many believe that it was made by men. It's a man-made book written by humans and it's not inspired by God and it does have some errors in it. That's what some people believe. And so you go further than that and I want you to hear this. One of the things that's happening in our generation is that there's an attack on the Bible. There's an attack on the Bible and one of the things that people, and you may have heard this before, you may have heard this. You may have heard someone say, well, you know, the Bible is, is written by men and you know, how can we even be sure See, Julie said, I hear that all the time. People say, how can we even be sure that after 2,000 years of just the New Testament, how can we even be sure that we even have the same Bible that they had back, you know, in the first generation church? How can we, it's probably been changed and people say this, it's been changed over time so much it's been changed and altered that we don't even have what they had you know in the early church the apostles probably had way different uh scriptures than we have today and men have manipulated it over time and uh, and then then get into the old testament well it's, you know it's not just 2000 years now we're talking you know 3 4000 years or longer uh, where we're, where people are saying, well, you know, how can we, how can we trust the Old Testament? You know, it's been uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of years since those documents were written, and there's been so many copies made uh, that they were changed by scribes and changed by conspiracy, uh, you know, people that want to create a conspiracy or make the Bible out to be a conspiracy, um, and so they they go through that, and they say all that. And so we we have a generation of people that will make those kinds of arguments and make those kinds of claims. You can't trust the Bible because of the fact it's probably been changed by men. You can't trust the Bible because the documents are too old. You can't trust the, do- the Bible because we don't have the original autographs. We only have copies. So we could never know what the originals said. And so you have all these arguments that are trying to attack the Bible and attack uh, holy divine scripture of God and uh, it's one of my favorite studies bibliology the transmission the translation of the text how it came through the years it's one of my favorite studies but today I'm going to give you in just a few minutes in my opinion one of the greatest treasures on <clears throat> uh, the subject and um I could sit. I could actually sit here and and give this all to you. And we're gonna be. We're getting ready to do uh, Miracle Word University courses on Bibliology and history and all that, uh, so that people can have a strong, strong belief in in their Scripture. But I'm gonna get ready to play something for you right now that I consider to be one, the best that I've ever heard on this subject. By far, the best that I've ever heard on this subject of why you can believe your Bible, why you can believe the Bible's true, why you can trust the Bible as scripture, why you know it's God's word, and why you know that it has not been changed. It has not been changed whatsoever. And so what I'm getting ready to play for you is I consider it a treasure, a treasure. One of the greatest things that's on line that you could find, and I know many people don't especially many people in my circles would not even know who this person is and probably would never come across this video because they don't, they're not, we don't run in these circles, but I'm going to play this for you. And uh, listen, I'm going to come back at the end after it's done. This is worth every millisecond that you will listen to it. And so uh, that's the treasure I have. This is a man of God by the name of Vodi Bakum, Vodi Bakum, and he's preaching uh, a message, and it's, it's not super long, it's like maybe 25 minutes or so, but listen, every millisecond of this is like gold. It's absolute gold. Vodi Bauckham is preaching on why I choose to believe the Bible. Every Christian in the world needs to hear this message and understand why the Bible we hold in our hands is the inspired, inerrant word of God. It has not changed. It's completely trustworthy. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do. I'm going to come back to you after he's done and, uh, and talk to you a bit more, maybe take some questions as well. But this is like one of the best messages I've not one of, it is the best message that I've ever heard on the subject. So listen, do not miss this. This is uh, brother Vody Bacham preaching why I choose to believe the Bible. And then I'll be back right at the end to talk to you some more and take some questions. Check this out.
0: Let me say I'm honored to be here tonight, um, but let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Dr. Gaines contacted me a while back and, and invited me to come preach there at this church there in Gardendale later this summer. And uh, after that invitation was sort of extended tentatively, he said, I, I need to check you out first. So what are do you doing June 19th? So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of here in view of a call to see if I'll still be able to come later this summer. I want to share something with you tonight that uh, it, it is a burden for me uh, mainly because of the backstory that was shared with you about my life, uh, about my having come to faith late in life, not having grown up in church, not having grown up around Christians or around Christianity. I was raised in a project in South Central Los Angeles by a single teenage mother who was a practicing Buddhist and I never heard the gospel until I got to college. And I had questions, numerous questions, questions that needed to be answered. And I met someone who took the time to answer my questions. And the wall that I want to talk about tonight is not necessarily a wall that we usually think about. It's a wall, in fact, that hasn't been torn down necessarily by our adversary, but in many instances, it's been torn down by us. You see, we we responded to sort of rationalism and logical positivism and secular humanism and in responding to those things that were were so heady that they led us away from the passionate pursuit of a holy God, we have come almost full circle. Now the pendulum has swung in the other direction and now in many instances we have become anti-intellectual And we've moved beyond anti-intellectualism to now we've almost moved into mysticism. We are at a place where theology and doctrine are bad words. We are at a place where there's a generation coming up that will believe anything if you say it with enough feeling. So there is an intellectual wall that needs to be rebuilt. We need to be a people who continues to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. So I want to do three things for you tonight. One thing is this. I want to answer what I believe is the most important question that we can answer in our culture today. And secondly, I want to make an observation about that answer and then issue a challenge. If you would open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, let me give you the question, here is the question that I believe is the most important question for us to be able to answer. Because legitimate questions deserve legitimate answers. Peter says in 1 Peter that we are always to be ready to give an apology, an apologia, a reasoned response to anyone who asks us the reason for the hope that is within us. Here's that question. That question is, why do you choose to believe the Bible? That's the question. We must be able to answer that question in our culture today. It's a legitimate question that deserves a legitimate answer. But you see, because of anti-intellectualism, we hear that question and usually we'll say something like, well, I believe the Bible because I was raised like that. Well, bless your spirit if that's your answer. <laughs> but please don't go out of here and say that to anybody. I, I, I beg you, please don't, don't do that because that is not a reasoned response. I was raised that way just doesn't cut it. Or sometimes because we live in this culture of experientialism, sometimes because of this postmodern culture where what's true for you is not necessarily true for me and the experience is king, there is another answer with which we have become accustomed that we think is a great answer to the question, and it goes something like this, why do you choose to believe the Bible? Well, I choose to believe the Bible because I tried it and it worked for me. We say that and then we sort of back up a couple of steps, you know, kind of let the answer sit there. Like we really just did something. You did, what you did was open a logical hole big enough to drive a Mack truck through, that's what you did. Because if your only answer is you believe it because you tried it and it works for you, what about that individual who used to be an alcoholic 10 years ago, and he went to an AA meeting and they told him he needed a higher power, he couldn't find a higher power, there's a squirrel that came outside of his window every morning, he decided that squirrel was going to be his higher power, hadn't had a drink in 10 years, guess what? He tried the squirrel, the squirrel worked for him. According to your logic, his squirrel has as much authority as your Bible. In the words of Regis Philbin, is that your final answer? <laughs> I hope it's not. Let, let me give you an answer to that question, that I believe is better than I was raised that way. Or it's better than, well, I'm Southern Baptist and that's the way we believe. Or it's better than I tried it and it works for me. I want to tell you why I choose to believe the Bible. Because I don't believe the Bible because I was raised that way, because I, I, I wasn't. I don't choose to believe the Bible because I tried it and it worked for me. My mother's Buddhism worked for her. That's why she was a Buddhist. I need something more than just because it works. Here's the answer. I'll give it to you and I'll unpack it for you. I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. In case you think I just made that up, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. Somebody gonna come get me when these lights go off? I'm nervous already, lights haven't even started going off yet, all right. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we, obs- and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God." Now let's unpack this. First of all, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents. Look at what he says here in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We did not follow cleverly devised tales We did not follow myths or fairy tales or legends. We did not follow things that were made up. Luke puts it this way in his prologue. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were passed down to us by those who were beforehand eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, it seemed fitting to me, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might believe God on blind faith. No, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. We have a reliable collection of historical documents, not myths, not fairy tales, not legends. This is not the Gilgamesh epic here. These are things that actually transpired in history and were recorded for us. Not only do we have a reliable collection of historical documents, but they were written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Look at what he says. But we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty, we saw. Anybody love crime dramas? I love crime drama. I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch Quincy. Anybody I used to watch Quincy, you know, growing up. You know, nowadays they got this, what is it, CSI or whatever. Everybody's all excited about CSI. CSI is just Quincy on crack. I, I, that's all that is, y'all. <laughs> Quincy was the man. I mean, he'd figure that stuff out, you know. You know what would mess up an episode of Quincy or CSI or whatever else you want to watch? if early on you have corroborating eyewitness testimony. You got no mystery then. That's what we have when we read the Bible. Corroborating eyewitness testimony. Turn with me to the right, if you will. And look at what John says in his epistle. Look at what John says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Look at verse two. The life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, eyewitnesses, a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses. But I also said during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that Jesus was resurrected after he was resurrected, he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to all of the disciples at once. Then he appeared to over 500 brethren at one time and he says these words, most of whom remain until now. When you do the math, you realize that when 1 Corinthians was written, there were over 300 eyewitnesses at least of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who were still alive during that time. Oh, I hear you. You're well-educated people. You've heard the arguments. Yes, brother, I understand that. But you see, what happened was, there were individuals who came and doctored the Bible up and it's been translated so many times and it's been changed so many times. And when I talk to college students sometimes, they tell me about this myth of these overzealous monks who went out and changed the Bible so that things would match up, so that it would look like we have older documents than we actually have. And in fact, and I think they're really telling me something when they tell this. You know, we don't have any of the originals. Like I'm supposed to be shaking my boots when they tell me that. Listen to me, if overzealous monks want to change the Bible, can I explain to you what they would have had to do? Three levels of conspiracy. Level number one, they would have had to have a manuscript conspiracy. When we're talking about just the New Testament itself, there are over 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts for the New Testament itself. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you, but can I compare it to a couple of things? Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars — that's how we know about Julius Caesar and his conquest — we have around 10 manuscripts. Aristotle's Poetics, we have nearly five manuscripts. When it comes to the writings of Herodotus, we have less than 10 manuscripts. When it comes to the writings of Homer, less than 10 of each of his writings. When it comes to the New Testament, we have 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts for the New Testament. Folks, that's not even close. Well, you don't have the originals. No, we really don't. But guess what? We can get earlier than AD 120 with some of the copies that we have. When it comes to Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, the earliest thing we can put our hands on was written 900 years after the original. But nobody's tearing down the walls in college because they're reading Caesar. When it comes to Aristotle, the earliest thing we can put our hands on was written 1400 years after the original. But when it comes to the New Testament, we can put our hands on documents that were written within decades of the originals. So if these overzealous monks wanted to doctor the Bible, what they would have to do is find over 6,000 manuscripts, change all of them, not show their ink work, get them all back where they stole them from and never tell anybody what they did. That's just level number one. Here's level number two. Jesus said, go and make disciples of ta ethne, every people group. Funny thing about people groups, they tend to speak different languages. So within the first few centuries, we have the Bible translated into Syriac, Coptic, and Latin. So now these overzealous monks have to find 6,000 Greek manuscripts, change those, doctor them up, don't show your ink work, get them back. Go find all the Syriac, Coptic, and Latin translations of those Greek manuscripts, change those to match the lies that you told in another language, and get those back where you stole them from, and that's just level number two. Now you got level number three. The early church fathers had this terrible habit of writing commentary on the New Testament, so much so that Bruce Metzger argues, if all we had of the New Testament was the quotations and citations by the early church fathers, we could reproduce over 95% of the New Testament just from their writings. So now these overzealous monks have to find 6,000 manuscripts and portions of manuscripts, steal them, change them, don't show your ink work, get it back without anybody finding out. They got to find Syriac, Coptic, and Latin translations, change those to match the lies that they told in the 6,000 manuscripts, get those back where they stole them from, and then find all of the writings of all of the early church fathers. Change those to match the lies that they told two layers ago, get those put back, never to Tell anybody what they did and never ever get caught. Help you if you believe that. (laughs) We have a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. So far we just got a good history book, now it gets good. They report to us supernatural events. Look at what he says here. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now we got the Mount of Transfiguration. Now we got supernatural events, not superhuman events. We have supernatural events. Stuff you can't get good enough to do. We're not talking about psychosomatic healings. We're talking about a woman with an issue of blood who is healed instantly. We heard earlier about the man with a withered hand, healed instantly. Men who were blind from birth, deaf from birth, mute from birth. Men who were lame from birth, healed instantly. One of my favorites. Jesus tells the disciples, y'all go to the other side of the lake, I'll meet you. Later on on the boat, somebody, I don't know who, they say, hey, um, did Jesus say how he was coming? (laughs) No, why? Because he, he coming. (laughs) Or my favorite of them all, Friday, dead, Sunday risen. We have a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report to us supernatural events and those events took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. We're not talking that General Nostradamus type stuff. Specific prophecies. For example, when Jesus is on the cross, interestingly, when He's on the cross, I don't know, let's just imagine, go back, shall we, if we will? Let's go back, uh, of know, first century and we're Jewish people and we probably talk about our Old Testament, maybe we use Aramaic when we speak to one another. And I want you to open your Bible, for example, to Psalm number 22, which is where we're going here for a moment. If I wanted you to do that, I couldn't tell you to open to Psalm number 22 because we've only had chapters and verses for a few hundred years. If it was the first century and I was speaking to you in Aramaic and I wanted you to turn to Psalm number 22, I would have to tell you to turn to the title of Psalm number 22, which would have been the first line of Psalm number 22. So I'd have to tell you to open your scroll to Eli Eli lama or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that ought to sound familiar because it's exactly what Jesus said while he was being crucified. I know you know this, but I like it so much. Let's do it anyway. Psalm number 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look at verse 6. I'm a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Sound familiar? That's what's being said to Jesus while he's being crucified. Look at verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Interesting. Pierce him in the side, puncture the pericardium, blood and water rush out. Look at verse 15, my strength is dried up like potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. How about this wine vinegar on this sponge, Jesus? Because you did say, I thirst. Verse 16, dogs have surrounded me. Folks, that's Gentiles. A band of evildoers has encompassed me, one on the right and one on the left. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. Why? because nobody had to break your legs to hasten your death. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Folks, that was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. It was written by a man who never once saw crucifixion in his life because crucifixion had not yet been invented. That is why Peter can say, back in our passage, verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. We have a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. We just looked at a couple of examples of that. And then here's the kicker. They claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. Look down with me at verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. They claim these are God's words and not theirs. That's why these prophecies were fulfilled hundreds or thousands of years afterwards. That's why they use phrases like, and thus says the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and God said to Abraham, they say these are God's words and not men's words. Oh, I hear you! But see, that's the problem. Nobody wants to believe that because they know that men wrote the Bible. And when we say it's the Word of God, they say, no, it's the Word of men because men took pen to paper, and you cannot trust things that were written by men. That's always interesting to me. You know why? Because back in school, I don't remember anybody, you know, in my math class. Well, you got something wrong, you know, you're supposed to use the Pythagorean theorem there. You know that A squared plus B squared equals C squared thing, you know? You didn't use the Pythagorean theorem there, you got this wrong. You can't mark me off for that. That came out of a math book. A man wrote that math book. That means it's fallible. (laughs) Just because man took pen to paper doesn't mean you can't trust what's written. The question you ask is this. Is what's written reliable? Is it internally consistent? Is it corroborated? Well, what's corroboration? I don't know, maybe three languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, three continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, over 40 authors, most of whom never met one another, who wrote over a period of some 1,500 years and tell one singularly woven together story. How's that for corroboration? Here's another one, and I just have to admit, I I like it when people use this one. (laughs) Because there's part of me that, you know, I I don't like to talk about in Sunday school. His name is Bad Votie. Try to let him out at least once a week late at night when nobody's around. (laughs) He loves this one. When people say, you believe that Bible, but... I'm a man of science, and unless you can prove it to me scientifically, I just can't believe that. See, at that moment, I try to grab on the bad voting and hold him real tight and not let him go. <laughs> because I know what he'll do if I let him go. He won't be Christian, he just won't. Sometimes I think he's not even saved because of the stuff that he wants to say. because I would be gentle with the people. Bad Vody wouldn't even be gentle. He'd say, you. (laughs) He'd look at him and he'd say something like this, listen, you don't even deserve to remain in this argument, but I'm going to let you stay in the argument because I'm going to like what's about to happen to you. Because intellectually, I'm about to beat you like a tied up goat. So hold on right where you are, all right? How are you going to sit here and tell me you're a man of science and you'd believe it, you know, if I, you know, proved it to you scientifically? Why do you want me to use the scientific method? Do you not realize that you don't use the scientific method on historical events? That proves you don't even deserve to be in the argument. Here's the scientific method. In order to use the scientific method, something has to be observable, measurable, and repeatable. Folks, you can't use the scientific method to prove that George Washington was our first president. Why? Because his presidency is not observable, measurable, and repeatable. See, they messed around and let me go to school. <laughs> you don't use the scientific method there. You have to use a more evidentiary method there. So what you do is like what we do in a courtroom. You say, do we have any eyewitnesses? Well, I just told you we got some of those. Do the eyewitnesses tell the same story? Yep, Friday dead, Sunday risen. They say something's going to happen, and it happens exactly the way they said. You see, we have no external evidence that would argue against the Bible's claim to be the Word of God. None. So the real intelligent thing to do is to believe what it says. So I don't choose to believe the Bible just because I was raised that way. I wasn't. I don't choose to believe the Bible just because I tried it and it works for me. I choose to believe the Bible, now say this with me if you will, Because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. I told you I wanted to do three things. Number one, I wanted to answer this question that I believe is a pertinent question in our culture that we have to be able to answer. It's a legitimate question that deserves a legitimate answer. Secondly, I told you I wanted to make an observation. Pastors in the room, listen to me. I just shared an expository sermon. I preached the text in its context. I did not try to be more creative than God. what I like to call expository apologetics. The Bible answers every relevant question. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, all of it. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Here's what I'm worried about. There's a lot of us who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. But some of us don't preach like we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Don't let anybody tell you that exposition is a thing of the past. I hope I didn't bore you, because a lot of people say exposition is boring. I hope you weren't bored. A lot of people say exposition is irrelevant. I I believe I just answered what I would argue is the most relevant question that our culture is asking. And did it verse by verse, precept upon precept, line upon line. Which brings me to the third thing, and that's the challenge. We have got to teach the people of God, number one, that the Bible has the answer. And number two, how to learn it and give it. Anybody who can memorize this passage of Scripture in its context can learn how to give the answer that I just gave you. Anybody, anybody. Folks, that's why, that's why we wrote The Ever-Loving Truth. That's why I wrote The Ever-Loving Truth Bible Study. That's what it's all about, for people to get this into their minds so that when somebody asks them a question, like why do you choose to believe the Bible? They don't have to fumble around and hem in the hall. They don't have to give some lame answer like, you know, I was raised that way, or I tried it and it works for me. They can look people in the eye, like a young lady from Dartmouth College where I was teaching this, who looked a science professor of hers in the eye and for the first time in her life felt confident enough to speak up in the classroom and looked at him and said, well, sir, I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. And by the way, if you want to, you can put some gravy on top of it. I tried it. Worked for me.
1: (laughs) That is one of my favorite, favorite videos. (laughs) And one of the best, that's the best message I've ever heard on biblical uh, uh, reliability that's out there. I'm sure there's other great ones. Of course, of course, saying on, uh, Facebook the other argument is that you have is that uh, religions believe Jesus was a prophet and they have their own bibles but understand it's very important to know none of the other religions can say what he just said about the bible that's why that passage is so important um let me read it to you again just to kind of go over that it's very important that you understand the mu- muslims can't say that about the quran uh just there's no there is no other religion that can make those same claims regarding what they call their holy book. Um, I don't know if you know this, but anybody that has debated Muslims on the inerrancy of the Quran um, uh, versus the Bible, uh, you know, one of the things that Muslims say to, to, to uh, criticize Christians about the Bible is, well, how do you even know what your holy scripture is? Because you have so many different manuscripts that say different things. And, um and I'm actually very very happy uh, like he like he just like he just broke down to you I'm actually very very happy that we have uh 6 thousand plus manuscripts and uh portions of manuscripts of the New Testament because it allows us to go back and reconstruct what the Bible originally said for example um if if I asked 20 of you, to by hand copy the entire Gospel of John, and set you in separate rooms, and you know, gave you a period of time with a time limit because some some people in the early church were doing it under threat of persecution, and so if I give you a time limit, you've got to copy the Gospel of John by hand, you know, sometimes in a dimly lit room, which is what the case was in the early church for some of these people and and monks and others. Um, there's going to be punctuation error. There's going to be some spelling error. You might miss a word because remember, you're copying from one document to another and you're doing it by hand. But here's the awesome thing. If I asked 20 or 100 of you to do that and then took all of your manuscript copies of what you did, there will be errors of spelling, errors, maybe missed a word, punctuation, but all of your errors aren't going to be in the same exact place. You get that? So, one of you may have written, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word God, instead of the Word was God. But the, somebody else may not have missed that, but they missed in, and they just wrote, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, when I put a hundred of those manuscripts together and look at John 1, 1, I can look and see the consistency over a hundred manuscripts and see what the errors actually are based on comparison. That's why it's so wonderful to have 6,000 plus plus manuscripts of the New Testament and fragments of the New Testament is because we can actually compare them all and see what they said. Plus, as he said, the um, Latin versions and the Syriac and the Coptic versions and the uh, writings of the early church fathers, you compare all of that stuff and you can see what the originals would have said by comparison versus Islam with the Quran did you know that there was a time because Islam is is also a, a a political religion that's run by sharia law did you know that there was a time that they took every other version of the Quran in history cuz there were other versions of the Quran back throughout history they took the 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 Islamic government took all other versions of the Quran and chose the one that they believed was the standard was the one given by God to to uh Uh, Muhammad, and they burned all of the other versions of the Quran. And by a governmental edict, basically, a a political um, religious edict, said, This will be the Quran that every Muslim uses and distributed that Quran. Well, the church has never done that. The church would never do that because we understand and value the word of God and we understand the value of what we have in manuscripts. And so it's very interesting to me. No other, there is no other, uh, religion that can say about their book, what we can say about ours. Um, and it's, and I'm telling you, that's a powerful thing. That is an extremely powerful thing. He started, and I'm just going to break this down for you, uh, one more time because, um, this is such a powerful thought. Listen to this, um, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 21 listen to it one more time for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eye witnesses of his majesty for when we when he received honor and glory from the father And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which all you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is so powerful. I mean, that is so powerful to understand that we have the ability to know. I mean, <laughs> this, this this blows my mind. I mean, it literally blows my mind. And then I got this, which is Barna Research Group did a study over five years called The Bible in America, where they um, interviewed 14,000 American adults. Listen to this. This this actually kind of blew my mind that when they uh, asked average Americans, not just Christians, everybody, no, actually, it can't be argued about the canon because canon was never chosen by men. It was only recognized by men. They only could recognize what was God's word and recognize what wasn't. And so an extreme example would be like, having five pieces of yellow paper and a piece of red paper and you, you, you bring it into a room with a council and you say, all right, we're going to put together a collection of only yellow papers. And then everybody examines each paper and says, yes, we can recognize, um, see, we don't determine what yellow is. Yellow is yellow. Yellow is no one can ever turn green into yellow and say, I I say green is yellow. No, it doesn't work like that. We can only recognize what yellow is. So if I brought all those documents into a room with a council and said, we're gonna put together a book that is made up of only the yellow papers and none of the red. Well, we would look and examine every paper. Yep, we can all agree and see that that's yellow. You can see that this is yellow. Oh, wait a minute. We all can see that this one's red. We recognize, we didn't make it red and we don't determine what red is. We just recognize that it is red so it doesn't go in the collection of yellow documents. Same thing they did with the Bible. No one decided what the Bible was. Nobody went into a, like, you, people read like books like the Da Vinci Code and you hear like Dan Brown making the argument that Constantine uh, decided what the books of the Bible w- were going to be at the Council of Nicaea. Let me just give you an update. There was no discussion whatsoever at the Council of Nicaea about biblical canon, none. And at the Council of Trent, is when they begin to recognize what was and what wasn't inspired by God. And you should see some of the things that are not inspired by God. They're insane. They're absolute, like if you looked at some of the new, like the Gnostic gospels of the New Testament apocrypha, they say insane things. It's not like hard to recognize which ones are and aren't God's word. You know, what we have in the scripture is, it never contradicts itself. So you go through and look at what average uh Americans believe about the Bible. Listen to this, Americans. Now, this is interviewing non-Christians and Christians alike, and I thought this was interesting. Americans' beliefs about the Bible from adults 18 and older. This still blows my mind. Just going across all of the adult base, 54, 54 percent of Americans at large still believe that the Bible is God's word and inspired by God. That's that's encouraging over half the population of America, Christian or non-Christian, believe that uh, the Bible is the inspired word of God. But here's what blew my mind. I went further with it to look at the Bible among um, Christians, because that, obviously that's what you want to see. Like what do Christians, What are, where, where are Christians at right now? And this is actually a sad thing because you know, if you've got Christians that don't even believe the Bible, you know, it's like, what do you believe? <laughs> it's like blows blows my mind. But when they when they interviewed Christians only Christians, uh, what do Christians believe about the Bible? Well, practicing Christians this this kind of blew my mind. People who practice Christianity, whatever that means to them, go to church, call themselves children of God. Listen to this. That'd be ten. 13, 15, 18, 18%, almost one out of every five Christians in America do not believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Almost one in five Christians, 18% of Christians do not believe that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word of God. Think about that. Okay, let me break it down on another way. 18% don't believe it's inspired by God. They don't believe it's God's word. Stack on top of that another... Now, there's another uh, group of people here. Um, and these people, they believe that it's inspired by God, but it has historical and factual errors in it, included in that number. So that, that blows your mind. So that means that they don't believe that it's the inerrant word of God, that God doesn't know all things, and that he makes errors when he writes. That doesn't make sense, does it? So they, they believe it's the inspired word of God, but they believe that he made errors when he wrote. That it contains errors. It's the inspired word of God, but it's got errors in it. But thankfully, what would you say? That is uh, 78, 81. 81% of Christians, thank God. I mean, you would hope that it would be 100%. 81% of Christians believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. But to go even beyond what Brother Vody just preached, because obviously, as you know, he, he said it at the beginning, I don't know if you caught it, that he's you know a Southern Baptist or he's, he's reformed. He doesn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit today in that way that we do. Doesn't believe in healing miracles. Doesn't believe in speaking in tongues. Doesn't believe any of the Pentecostal belief systems. Uh, so go on, go even further than that, With for those of us that are watching today, go even further than that. We don't just believe all the things that he said about the Bible, that it's inerrant, that it's inspired. On top of that, we also believe that the Bible carries the supernatural power of God when it's spoken. So we actually believe that the Bible, uh, as, we, as we say in uh, Psalm 107 verse 20, he sent his word and it healed them jesus matthew chapter 8 speak the word only and my servant shall be healed go beyond just the fact that we believe it's the inspired inerrant word of god that it is out of the uh, god breathed as the new testament says we also believe it carries supernatural power to perform the miraculous we believe that when we speak it over our lives things have to change we believe that when we speak it out of our mouth, sickness has to go, disease has to go, depression has to go, poverty has to go. We believe that it carries power to perform today. Hallelujah. I feel like preaching. Where's my towel? My God. Amen. And we believe that when we speak it, it performs, it manifests itself. Because we know what the Bible says, God said it, I read this last night in the broadcast, that when my words go out of my mouth, this is what the Lord said, that they don't ever return empty or void, but they always accomplish what I send them to do and prosper in the thing whereunto I've sent them. So we believe that the word of God is not just inspired, not just inerrant, not just God-breathed, but it carries supernatural power. That when you speak it out of your mouth, when you declare it, when you confess it, the power is in it, to perform in the same way that Jesus carried the power of God in his word and sent it to the centurion servant and he was made whole that same hour, that same hour. And so we have to, we have to begin to place a great, great, I mean, I'm so, I'm so adamant about this. This is probably one of my favorite studies that there is, is the study of scripture, the bibliology as it's called. Uh, the translation, the transmission, how we got our Bible, you know, all these, all these things. And we're going to do something in Miracle Word University for this soon. But I I do want to say this, that the word that we hold in our hand is just as much God as the individual seated on the throne. And we know that because of John 1.1. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God is his word. That's why it carries such power. That's why it carries such authority. That's why it can heal the sick. That's why it can raise the dead. It is God. God is his word. And that's John chapter one and verse one. So I want you to see this with me today. It's more than just believing it's inspired and inerrant and in God breathe. It's understanding that it carries the virtue of heaven on the inside of it. It carries the virtue of heaven. Hallelujah on the inside of it. That's why when we read this word, we don't read it flippantly. We don't just look at this thing and say, well, maybe I should pick it up every week or so on a Sunday. No, this is something that should be being put into your spirit every single day. It's more important to your body than eating food. Did you ever think about that? Ingesting the mighty word of God into your spirit is more important than eating food. Because think about this. You eat food, your body will stay alive. But if you don't ingest the word of God, if you never identify with the mighty word of God, what good is it for your body to be healthy and strong and go to hell at the end of your life? What good is it? I would rather take God's word and die physically and go to heaven than I would to take natural food and die spiritually and end up in hell. And of course, we can have both because we know that the Bible carries strength and life for our physical bodies. That's what Proverbs 4, 20 through 22 is all about, that when we ingest the word of God, it's health and healing to our physical bodies. So it carries supernatural power and it goes into us. As we ingest it, it goes into us. I've preached on this before. It becomes healing. It becomes joy. It becomes wisdom. It becomes strength. It beca- I mean, all of these things, it becomes prosperity. It becomes success. And there's scripture for every one of those things. So keeping not just a high view of the word, but understanding that it has to be a dedicated part of your life. Because you know what's what's to me, for a lot of people, and I, I've read this statistic, I can't quote to you where it's from, but over 90 some percent of preachers that li- that leave Bible college Never have read the Bible all the way through, 90 some percent, 90 some percent. Listen to this. I want to give you the statistics. This is after 14,000 interviews over five years of study. Listen to what they found. Listen to what they found. For practicing Christians, hear this, practicing Christians, listen to me. Four percent, this this is the question they ask them, how frequently do you read your Bible? How frequently do you read your Bible? Four percent of Christians, never, never. Another four percent of Christians, less than once a year. So what, like during the Christmas service? So four, another four percent, less than once a year. All right, five percent of Christians read their Bible one to two times a year. A year. Let's go up into some of the bigger numbers now. 6% of Christians read their Bible three to four times a year. Let's go up to bigger. Only 10% of Christians once a month. Read their Bible once a month. Go up to a bigger number. 13% of Christians read their Bible once a week. All right, so now we're getting into the majority of more Christians now. Um <laughs> We could just say this. Let me me say it this way. That's 21 plus eight is 29. 29% of Christians, admittedly, this is admittedly, 29% of Christians, because I'm adding up all the ones I just read you, 29% of Christians in America read their Bible less than four times a year. 29% of Christians read their Bible less than four times a year. Let's go into the bigger numbers. So 13% read their Bibles once a week. Now we're getting to those that probably go to church and open it up when the pastor's preaching. All right, 17% of Christians read their Bible several times a week. 11% of Christians read their Bibles four times a week or more, four times or plus a week or more. And then the biggest number on the chart by itself of Christians read their Bible every day. So a quarter of Christians, only one, and that's still sad, only one quarter of Christians, one out of every four, reads their Bible every day. Just a quarter, that's it. We cannot be in the 72%. We cannot allow ourselves to be found in the 72% of Christians that don't think the Bible is important enough to only read once a week, once a month, once a year. We cannot be those people. We have got to be people who determine this is my fuel for life. The word of God is my fuel for life. I've got to ingest this into my spirit every single day, every day. I can't, t- I can't act like the Bible doesn't matter. I can't act like the Holy Word of God is not important to my life. I must ingest it on a daily basis. It has to be in me. I, I have to feed my spirit. It was F.F. F. Bosworth, the man who wrote Christ the Healer, who actually said this quote, and I'll never forget it. It's in his book, Christ the Healer. He said, many Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day And feed their spirit one cold snack a week and then wonder why they're so weak in faith. And that's why we're, once again, we're preaching to you from the word of God every single night at 7 p.m. to give you a word of faith, to build your faith and take you up to the next level. This word of God is fuel for my spirit. It is fuel for my life. I can't fall. I will not allow myself to fall into the 72% of Christians in America that don't read their Bible every day. I refuse to do it. I refuse to do it. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Start to put a higher priority, a higher priority on your Bible. Get your Bible, take it out, read it. If you Do something. You have to schedule it. That's why I encourage people to schedule a time to ingest the Word of God because anything that you don't prioritize and schedule takes a back seat to everything else that's considered important in your life. So if you have to wake up a half an hour earlier, if you've got to make time, put an alarm on your phone, uh, that when that alarm goes off, it's time to read the Word of God. Whatever you've got to do, prioritize the mighty, powerful Word of God in your life and it will change everything about your life. But I really hope I'm telling you I, b- I believe that 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 helped you. If you enjoyed that by Vodi Bokum, lift your hand, Bokum I should say. Lift your hand in the comments if you enjoyed that message. How many no before you do that, don't do that. Don't do that yet. Um or I guess you can do it, but I want you to put um something that people wouldn't normally put. If you heard something in that if you heard something in that message that you did not know or had never heard before about proving the accuracy of the Bible, put just put the letter Q in the comments. If you heard something in that message that you'd never heard before, learned something new about the inerrancy or inspiration of scripture, put the letter Q. I want to see I want to see those those of you that learned something and it got into your spirit. Put the le- letter Q. Because I tell you, when I when I first I had never thought of the the monk conspiracy before. Of course, I've not faced a lot of people in my life that were just <clears throat> against the word. Look at all the people. Look at all the people. I'm glad. I knew I knew it would help you. I knew it would encourage your faith because um, of course I, I may have not had, and you may have not had to deal with um, you know, heavy skeptics of the scripture, but they're out there. And more than ever now in a postmodern society, they are out there. They are out there and they're, you know, we're commanded by the way. Let me read you this before we, before we pray. We are commanded by the apostle Peter. Listen to this first Peter, look at all those cues. First Peter chapter three and verse 15, listen, but in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense for any one who asks you for the reason of the hope that lies within you and do it with gentleness and respect And so we're commanded to have an answer. We should have an answer about why we believe our Bible, why we believe what it says. Do you know that's one of the main reasons we launched Miracle Word University? To give people an answer, to equip them so that people know why they believe what they believe. And that's what this is about. It's important. We're commanded. It's not just good to know. You're commanded to have an answer. And so this, I knew it would help you. It's the best message I've ever, ever, ever heard preached on this topic, and I wanted to share it with you. I'm gonna pray for you today, because one of the things, John G. Lake said this, I put it in my new book, Further Faster, which is going to the printer today. Thank you, Jesus, it's going to the printer today. Um, This is the book, by the way, Further Faster, how to accelerate your purpose through the force of impartation. And uh, it's going to the, it's going to the printer today, but one of the quotes that I put in this book, and if you wanna get a pre-ordered copy, Go to shop.miracleword.com. It's going to ship this month. But um, one of the quotes I put in there is, um, yeah, exactly, gentleness and respect. And that's something you don't see. That's something you're not seeing on Facebook. It's something you're not seeing when people engage with each other. And obviously, you know, obviously... That, especially now, Carol and I were just talking about this yesterday. How you've got people during this time that are on Facebook, on Periscope, and YouTube, and Twitter, and you know everything, Instagram, and it's crazy. You'd think that the love of God went out the window the way that people are 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 going out one going out one another right now. You'd think the love of God went out the window. I mean, seriously. You'd think it was gone, and I love how Peter put that in there with gentleness and with respect, with gentleness, and with respect, so it's so very important, I forgot what I was talking about just a second ago, what was I saying to you, I was talking to you about something I put in the book, what was what was I talking about, that threw me off, I started talking about gentleness and respect, completely forgot the quote, anyway, it's going to be in there, and it'll be great, the, um. somebody help me, What what was it that I was just getting ready to tell you, I'm trying to remember what it was now, Something that I put in, a quote that I put in further, faster, but well, where were we at? I'm trying to remember that. Anyway, if it comes back to me, I'll tell you. But it's in there. That message is on YouTube. It's called, Why I Choose to Believe the Bible, Ed, by Vody Bachum. Oh, yeah, John G. Lake. Thank you for helping me. Thank you, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Ruth. John G. Lake's quote. And this is why we're going to pray. Because John G. Lake, and I put his quote in there, he said, if I could give or impart one thing to the body of Christ, he said, it would be spiritual hunger. I mean, after all that that man saw, all the miracles, all the people raised from the dead, all of the things that that man saw in his lifetime, he didn't say, I'd like to impart power. He didn't say, I'd like to impart authority. What he said was, I would love to impart spiritual hunger to every Christian That shows how important he understood all of those other things are great, but they come out of spiritual hunger. And so that's what the Bible says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. The filling comes from the hunger. And so today as I pray for you, I'm going to pray that every person who stuck through this, who enjoyed it, those that are hungry, I know there's some that aren't hungry, that's all right. Not everyone's going to be hungry, but you are. That's what's encouraging. You are one of those that's hungry. And I'm going to pray right now that the power of God would come upon you in this uh, this new year and that a new supernatural hunger would jump into your spirit and that you would go after the things of God with everything on the inside of you. So I want you to bow your head wherever you're watching. I'm going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, that's what we're asking you for today. Give us a supernatural hunger. Hunger for the things of God. Give us a hunger for your word, a hunger to read it and understand it. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand it in Jesus' name. Let us become hungry to do what you've called us to do. We thank you for that. We give you praise. Let us become great students of the word. Let us become hungry students of the word. Lord, give us a desire to read this word daily, Give us a desire to ingest your holy word. Put it in our spirit. Let it be the highest thing in our lives, in Jesus' name. Let it become the highest thing, if it's not. Father, if there are people that are watching me that fell into that group, that they didn't consider Bible reading important, didn't consider getting it into their spirit to be an important thing, Lord, from this day forward, I pray that the fire of the Holy Ghost would come upon them and that they would begin to devour the word of God in Jesus name and as we read it we thank you faith is rising in our hearts we thank you that supernatural things are taking place that we'll we'll have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and we'll have it enlightened into our spirits we'll see what we've never seen by the power of God and we thank you that because of that we'll walk on the highest possible level that there is in the kingdom of God we give you praise lord we give you thanks and glory in Jesus' mighty name. And if you believe that, everybody shout aloud, Amen. 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 Praise God. I'm going to encourage you to sow a seed today before we go, and I'm going to be back tonight at 7. But understand this. It is important. Let me tell you one thing I'm, I'm realizing as I'm studying the scripture from Genesis 26. I'm realizing the importance of That when it seems like everybody else is going down, you need to make plans to go up. When everybody else, it seems like that they're diminishing, you need to make plans to go higher. How do you make plans to go higher? You go higher by obeying the word of God and by your obedience, positioning yourself to go into a place of increase. And that's our confession for the year, violent increase. What do I mean for those of you that may be new? What do I mean by violent increase? I'm talking about an increase that's so evident and explosive that everybody will be able to recognize that God's hand is upon your life. I'm talking about increasing in such a way that anyone who looks at your life will say, man, that's not natural. That's not their job. That's not their family. That is God. God is on that house. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Brandon, he's in the spirit. He said, I'm getting into Genesis 26 today. That's right. Turn the news off and get into the word of God and then obey what it's telling you to do. One of the things you'll see as you understand this is the thing that Isaac did that caused him to go high when everybody else was going low was that he obeyed the instruction of the spirit of God And when the Lord spoke to him in a time of famine to sow a seed, he didn't argue with God. He didn't try to do something different. No, this is what he did. He sowed, the Bible says, in a time of famine and in the same year reaped a hundredfold. And he so increased that the king came to him and said, you've got to leave us. You are too mighty for us. That's going to be your story as well. You're going to become too mighty for any enemy of your soul. You're too mighty for sickness. You're too mighty for disease, depression, anxiety. You're too mighty for poverty. They cannot touch you, nor can they take you out. Uh, Bill DiMatteo is asking a question: Do you consider a daily audio Bible as effective as actually reading the Bible? Yes, I, I mean it'd be just like if if uh, you know somebody was was reading the Bible to you. That's what they're doing. You know, actually having, and I'll do that sometimes. Um, I'll go on a walk and if I'm walking, I'll put my AirPods in and I'll just listen to the Bible audio from the YouVersion app or whatever and just listen to the Bible being read to me. Here's the thing though, Bill, Um, here is the, the caveat to that statement I would make, is that when you're doing it that way, it is easy for you to become distracted. It's easy to start multitasking and start doing other things or letting your mind wander and so I can see how it would become not the best way to study the Bible. Uh, I don't, I don't have, I'm not saying I have anything against it. I do it but it's not how I study the Bible. I, I do I do want to make that point. It's not how I study the Bible because when you do it that way it's e- because you don't have to focus on doing something, reading or studying, you can start doing other things and your mind can wander and it could take your mind off of it. So if you're gonna actually study the Bible, get it into your spirit, I'm not negating listening to the Bible that it builds faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can build faith that way, yes. But when you're studying the Bible, I I really recommend that you open it up, whether on your iPad, iPhone, open up a Bible and actually sit and study the word of God. It's the most important element in the world and it deserves our attention. It deserves all of our attention. So while I do listen to the Bible in audio form, when I'm studying the Bible, I focus my mind and sit down and read the mighty word of God. And I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to do the same. That's it. That's the creator's, Tammy saying, I've been studying in Genesis chapter one, how there was no sickness and no disease. God did not make, that's right. The original intent of our creator was no sickness, no disease, no depression, no anxiety, no poverty, no lack. That's the intention of the creator without question. And so I want you to ask the Holy Spirit today what he would have you to sow. And um, yeah, that's good. The One Thing by Gary Keller. I, I have that uh, I have that book. It's an excellent book, Billion. The One Thing by Gary Keller. And he's a Christian, by the way, uh, if you didn't know that. And he makes mention of that, I believe, in the book. Absolutely, it's a great one about focus. You can't, the, the myth that he conquers in that book is that multitasking is truly a myth. No one can successfully multitask. They've proven that. And so when we're studying the Bible, we need to study the Bible. No question about it. Excellent read. Yes. And so I want you to ask the Lord today what he would have you to do. And then I want you to know this, that um, for this month, if you weren't here at the beginning, for everybody that's sowing your seed and partnering with us for $100 or more this month, we're sending you as our gift to you. This is the best book that I've ever seen on End Times Bible Prophecy. Comprehensive. Covers every Every aspect from the rapture to the tribulation to the second coming of Christ to the Antichrist to the millennium to the millennial reign of Christ to the final battle, everything is encompassed in this book. It's about 500 and some pages. Phenomenal. Mark Hitchcock is has a doctorate in theology. He's written many books on prophecy. This is his uh, magnum opus, if you will, his greatest work on the, the subject of end times Bible prophecy. It's a complete overview of Bible prophecy in the end of days. This is our gift to you, for everybody that's sowing $100 or more this month, uh, to stand with this ministry, just to say we love you, and of course, for every person that's a 1,000 or more in month of April, we're gonna send you this book, or not, not this book, but this Bible, this Life Application Study Bible, genuine leather along with the book, I should say. Uh, this is my one of my new favorite study tools. I love, love, love this. It shows you, and it's nice because it gives you a total look at what you're studying. And as you're getting into a story, it'll give you maps to show you the geography of what was going on during the time of the battles or as they were traveling, whatever it might be. It gives you character um, profiles of pe- important people throughout scripture. It gives you background on their life, you know, their their accomplishments, their strengths, uh, when they were born, when they died. If you can get that statistics where they live, the vital statistics It's so much in here to give you a better understanding of scripture. And this will be our gift to you as well. Make it out to your family. So I want to say a big thank you. If you'd like to sow today, you can always go to MiracleWord.com. Sow or partner there. Uh, You can use PayPal, Cash App, or hashtag Donate in the comments section. And uh, I love you guys so much. And I want to say thank you to everybody that's sewing. We really, really appreciate and love you. Let me say this as well. Kids, we've got the new april mission available at miraclewordkids.com and on the 9th at 2 p.m eastern time we're going to be doing a live craft party with miracle word kids and uh your kids don't want to miss this it's going to be great it's going to be awesome and also coming up for easter don't forget we've got two let me pull out my my uh got a little announcement here we've got two versions now of the easter box we've got the one you see on the screen That includes the T-shirt, the tumbler cup, the Easter story, the journal, the slap bracelet, the candy, everything in the box, $40. And then if you'd like to get a version of this box without the T-shirt in it, it's only $25. Both of those currently now available on the store, shop.miracleword.com. Definitely, definitely a must get for Easter. You need, oh, here's part of it as well. You must order by Saturday. We want to have it to you in time. So you've got to get your order in by Saturday. So very important that you do that. And, uh, and so I want to say thank you. A big thank you. We've had so many people that are not only partnering with us, but we've got people now, uh, I'd say within the last week, we've probably had five to 10 people that have, uh, I'd say the last two weeks, five to 10 people that have called in and not only uh, continue to partner, but have increased their partnership uh, every month. And we say a big thank you to you. I pray for you weekly. So does Carolyn. We love you. We stand with you as you're standing with us. And, uh, I want to say that we love you so very much. If you're watching this today, if you're watching this, cause maybe somebody logged on that was not even a Christian, maybe it got shared to somebody. And, uh, because you're friends on Facebook or friends on, uh, Twitter or whatever, and you, you were watching this and you're not even serving the Lord. I want to take the final moments of this broadcast that if you're not serving the Lord, that you can have an opportunity today to become a child of God. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how much has transpired in your life, you're not too far gone to have a savior and to have forgiveness for your sins. And so I'm gonna pray in these final moments. And if you're watching me, whether you're live or on the replay, maybe somebody gave you this podcast episode and shared it with you. Let me pray for you. If that's you and you know that you need to be serving the Lord Jesus today. Let me pray a prayer for you, every person that's watching. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me of my sin and make me new. Give me the power to live for you for the rest of my life, until I die or until you come, in Jesus' name. Give me holy desires. Give me the strength to serve you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. And listen, If you just prayed that prayer, I have a free gift to be be sent to you. And all you have to do is go to miracleword.com and click on I just got saved. And when you click that button, I just got saved, I have a short video there for you to watch and we have free resources to send you to help you take your next steps in Christ. And it'll be a great blessing to you. I love you guys. Thank you, Zach. (laughs) Zach's cracking me up. Uh, and Zach I love you thank you and Heather uh, for standing with us in partnership uh, we love you guys and appreciate everybody that's standing with us listen listen I'll be back tonight seven o'clock eastern time that's New York City time if you're watching from around the world New York City time 7 p.m. and uh, spirit of faith session I don't even know what what number we're on now it's like 15 16 17 I don't know but all of them are being archived on YouTube in their own playlist, the Spirit of Faith playlist. You can go back and you can um, binge watch or binge listen to all of them. And so uh, I know it'll be a blessing to you. I love you guys so much. And thanks for hanging with me today. I hope this blessed you. I'll see you tonight, 7 p.m. Have a phenomenal day. Talk to you soon. So lift those hands. I declare tonight by the power of God that whatever harassed your people Lord before tonight we come against it by the mighty fire of the Holy Ghost and the blood of Jesus Christ I take authority over sickness and disease that would plague every household Cancer cells must shrivel. Diabetes must go. Arthritis must go. Glaucoma must go. High blood pressure has to return to normal. Every sickness, every disease, every spirit of infirmity, it is cursed tonight and it has to go in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Now Lord, I declare every spirit of depression, Every spirit of anxiety, panic, and fear that would trouble the mind of God's precious people. I pray tonight that you would blow your breath from heaven and remove depression, remove anxiety, remove fear, ADD, ADHD, every problem of the mind. Blow it out of our way tonight never to come back again and I lose peace that passes all understanding I lose joy like a river to come on God's people tonight in Jesus name in Jesus name Father I pray for every man and every woman who's believing for financial increase those that have sown and they've been tithing and they've been faithful to the kingdom Lord tonight We ask you to send angels to get a hold of our harvest and quickly bring it back to our house. We declare 2019 will not be a year that's marked by lack, not enough, or poverty, or bankruptcy, or debt. This is a year of increase this is a year of favor this is a year of prosperity this is a year of blessing this is a year of overflow and we receive it tonight in Jesus name in Jesus name father I pray now for every family member that's not serving the Lord everyone that is lost in sin that has not come to God We declare it. 2019 is a year that we will have household salvation. Unsaved husbands are coming into the kingdom in Jesus' name. Unsaved wives are coming into the kingdom. Our children will serve the Lord. Our grandchildren will serve the Lord. So Lord, we say now, send the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to every heart to every life, whatever they're doing, Lord, arrest their attention, arrest their heart, and Lord, pull them into the kingdom of God. Let this be the year that we can shout, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We declare that we receive household salvation in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lift your hand. Many of you, you have family members that are struggling with addictions prescription medication addiction alcohol addiction nicotine addiction drug addiction pornography addiction sex addiction tonight we're going to pray that God will break every chain open every prison door and let the oppressed go free can you shout amen Amen. there's people in this church maybe you love the Lord but you've not been able to quit smoking You've still been smoking every day and can't seem to get free. Many of you, nicotine's got you bound. Maybe alcohol, tonight's the last night in Jesus' name. This is not a 21-step process. This is a one-step process called the fire of the Holy Ghost. So with every hand lifted, I take authority over every... Addicting spirit that would try to latch on to the lives of God's precious people Lord we command it now to go nicotine addiction alcoholism drug addiction prescription medication addiction pornography addiction sex addiction we curse it now and command it loose its grip by the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus name in Jesus name final prayer tragedy will not be your story accident will not be your story I'm going to pray now that God put a hedge of protection around your family you'll not get a call at 3 in the morning your son's been found overdosed in the local crack house you'll not get a call from the police your son's been found in a deadly fatal car crash Accident is not your story Calamity is not your story the protection of God is your story. I said the protection of God is your story So one more time would you lift those hands Lord in Jesus name? We thank you that tonight you put a hedge of protection around our families around our children and our grandchildren our story will not be somebody else's story we declare No accident will take us out, no calamity will take us out the murderous actions of a terrorist will never take us out we will never be found in a school shooting, we will never be found in a plane crash, car crash we will never be found overdosed in an alley somewhere every evil thing sent by the devil is sent back to where it came from in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus now shout if you believe it